Awesome. Well, if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 3 and uh, hold your place in chapter 3. We'll be looking at chapter 3 and chapter 4 as we continue our series led by fire. We'll be in the uh, book of Exodus throughout the summer months and examining the life of a man by the name of Moses. And God chose Moses to walk on this earth to live in one of the most traumatic, perhaps one of the darkest times in Israel's national history. But God chose Moses, God called Moses, and today we're going to see Moses wrestling with that call to do what God has asked him to do. In the same way, I would just submit to you that I believe that God has chosen you to navigate 2022, that God has chosen you to live here in the Bay Area, that God has chosen you with a plan, with a purpose, and perhaps what is a very challenging time in our national history, but God has, has chosen you to represent him well on this earth. God has chosen you. He desires to speak to you. He desires to reveal himself to you. He desires to work miraculously in your life so that a watching world will take note. And not just take note, but through your life, through your example, a watching world will begin to find and follow Jesus and say, I want the same God to lead me by fire. I want the same God active in my life. And I believe this is such a, a timely series for us as not only we technically still in a global pandemic, but the past 27 months, as we emerged into a, a new reality, we recognize that the landscape of our world has drastically shifted. But these are not times for us to shrink back. These are not times for us to sit back passively. These are times for the people of God to stand up with courageous faith and say, while we may not know what the future holds, we do know the God who does hold the future, and therefore we will not be afraid. Therefore, we'll pray all the more earnestly, God, fill us with your spirit. God, would you help us to be a people who are led by fire? God has been looking for a people to do that, to fill with courageous faith, to, to strengthen the hearts. He's been looking for a people in every generation to do this. Second Chronicles 16.9 tells us that the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. And so as we gather in this space on a Sunday morning, we recognize that God is here and God is roaming the pews and he's looking at your heart. He's examining my heart. And he's saying, who is full on for me? Who's fully committed to me? Because those are the people that I desire to strengthen. Those are the people that I desire to lead by fire. And if it's God's desire to lead you by fire, and if it's our prayer, God, help us to be led by fire, then it begs the question, why do not more of us experience that reality in our life? And I would just submit to you because we have a very real enemy. And the enemy of your soul, the adversary of my soul, desires to fill our minds with excuses, to fill our, our minds with reasons of how what God's asking us to do. So that for the, the plain truth of the Bible, we could say like, hey, I hear that, I understand that, but I'm not sure that's true for me. I'm not sure I can actually do that. He desires to fill our minds with excuses to not apply God's word, to not follow God's prompting, and just to sit back passively and make excuses. So to die, to today's title of our message is, is No More Excuses. Or no more excuses. Whenever God is speaking to you, whenever God is speaking to me, we, we all share this reality. We can respond one of two ways. We can say, God, I'm in, I'm on, my answer is yes. Or we can respond and say, God, I can't or I won't. And often followed by a carefully crafted reason or excuse why we can't or why we won't, right? Like some of us are professionals at this. Like we got this one, we've got this one down. But when it comes to God's working in our life, we must be careful not to excuse ourselves. The abundant life, the life that God has designed for you is only realized on the other side of our obedience. And so today, we're going to look at the life of Moses as he wrestles and makes excuses 
of why he cannot fulfill God's call on his life. And I don't know about you, but I'm super grateful for this reality of scripture. Uh, the Bible is filled with imperfect people in progress. And Moses is a dude just like you. He's a human being just like us. But yet God, God desires to use Moses. God does use Moses in extraordinary ways. But Moses has to work through some things in his life. And I'm super grateful for this because like if I just saw Moses like climbing the mountain and coming down with 10 commandments, like chiseled by the hand of God, I'd be like, wow, like who could, who could ever live up to that standard? If we just saw Moses like parting the Red Sea and leading 2 million people across an ocean on dry ground, I'd be like, that's banana. Like what is, how could anyone ever experience God's miraculous hand on their life to that degree? But because we have this backstory, we realize that Moses is a human. And as humans, we're very prone to make excuses. And we're very prone to tell God all the reasons why we can't, why we won't, and how we have never. And so before we turn to Exodus chapter 3, just a little bit of backstory to bring you up to speed. If you haven't been with us for the past couple weeks. Uh, when we come to Exodus chapter 3, Moses is 80 years old. Which just underscores this reality. Like if you're not dead yet, you're not done yet. Like God still has a plan and a purpose for your life. The reason you woke up today is because he desires to use you in ways that are beyond you. And so Moses, at the age of 80, receives this call in his life. Up to this point, uh, Moses was born in an era where genocide was taking place in Egypt. Uh, there was an edict out by the Pharaoh at the time, the king of Egypt, to kill all the Hebrew boys. By faith, Moses' parents, they spare Moses' life. They hide him for three months. By faith, they put Moses in the Nile River and in a very strategic plan to allow Moses, this basket, to pass in front of Pharaoh's daughter. So Moses' mom is then paid to nurse Moses for like three to four years, we assume, based on uh, what scholars estimate to be that, that time period. And then Moses is raised as Egyptian royalty. He, but, but here's what I would submit to you. He has this Ivy League education. He becomes a great commander in the Egyptian military. But at the age of 40, the call of God never left Moses' life. And he realizes, he remembers what his mom told him. He remembers that God's hand was on his life for a specific purpose, to do something beyond himself. And so at the age of 40, he sees this, this Hebrew slave being beaten by an Egyptian taskmaster. It could literally be translated perhaps being killed by an Egyptian taskmaster. And Moses knows that he's called to be a deliverer. So he comes to aid of this, this Hebrew slave and he kills the taskmaster thinking that the nation of Israel would rally around and be like, Moses, you're the dude. Moses, you're our man. You lead, we'll follow. But it doesn't happen. Moses kills this Egyptian taskmaster, he turns his back on the riches, the royalty of Egypt. The pharaohs found out that he's come to the aid of a Hebrew and renounced his position in Egypt, and now Pharaoh wants to kill him. So for the past 40 years, Moses has been wandering a desert, wandering around in no man's land. He ends up marrying a, a pagan wife, has two kids, and now in what would appear out of the middle of nowhere, Moses is watching sheep for his father-in-law and the Lord appears to him in a burning bush. At this moment, I would submit to you the dream has died. Moses thinks, God, I thought you were going to do this, but I tried and it didn't work out. Therefore, I guess I missed it. Therefore, I guess you have plans to use someone else instead of, instead of me. A man with an Ivy League education, tremendous military experience. Your boy's watching sheep in the desert. Riddled with insecurity, feelings of inferiority, certainly battling with fears and failures. 
from his history. And to that end, can I just submit to you that perhaps some of you here, maybe it's been a long time since you hear, heard the voice of God, but you remember a time in your life when God called you to do something. On one hand, as we talked about last week, all of us share this overarching call, like God's plan and his purpose for your life is to help people find and follow Jesus. But, but at the same time, he's uniquely gifted you. He's given you spiritual gifts. He's given you uh, temperament. He's given you natural abilities that, that under this umbrella of the, the global calling of the church that you can serve your unique purpose to help more people find and follow Jesus. And to that degree, to the degree that you discover what that purpose is, you live out that purpose, is the degree that we experience strength as a church, not just locally, but also globally. And some of you remember a time when God spoke to you about your specific call. And, but, but maybe you tried to step into it like Moses and it didn't work out the way you thought it would. And so you think, well, I guess I missed it. Or maybe you made some wrong decisions like Moses. You made a couple bad turns. And now you think, I think I've blown it beyond repair. But I would just submit to you through God's word and through this series, perhaps God's trying to rekindle that call. Perhaps he's trying to remember, remind you of, of his plan, of his purpose. He's inviting you to step back into that call. As we talk about excuses today, I would just say as a general rule of thumb that, that we make excuses because we're so focused on ourselves. Like no one makes excuses because they're focused on another people. As we're gonna see from the life of Moses, when God calls Moses, he uses words like I, I, me, me, I can't, I've never, how, how could I? But he's not focused on, on what God's asking him to do. And I would, again, just submit, we make excuses when we're focused on ourselves. We're focused on our abilities, we're, we focus on our capacity, we focus on our capabilities, we focus on our resources. And all that allows us to feel very confident in certain circles. But whenever God gives us a God-sized vision for your life and he asks you to do something that's so far beyond you, we can shrink back and make excuses because we can become paralyzed with fear. On the other hand, though, whenever you're focused on God, when you're focused on God's abilities, you're focused on God's capacity, we focus on God's resources, we focus on God's talents, when we focus on, on what he brings to the table, Whenever he calls us, we're like, who am I? But at the same time, if you're asking me, like, let's do it. Like, we're, we're full of, of faith. Listen, God doesn't just call preachers and, and missionaries, but I would just submit to you, God's called you. And to a very real degree, we share this common call as missionaries. God wants to use you where you work. God desires to use you in your school. He's placed people in your path that I will never meet. And his plan and purpose in that is to lead you by fire to help them find and follow Jesus. He wants to lead you, wants to go before you, desires to speak to you and draw people to himself through you. When we believe that, here's what we'll do. We'll find pathways through every obstacle and we won't be paralyzed with excuses. I don't know if you've ever thought of this. Again, we're going to get to Exodus chapter 3 in just a moment. But, but as, again, a backdrop, uh, I would submit to you that our, our propensity to make excuses is attached to original sin, uh, to the original fall of humanity. In Genesis, uh, God creates man and woman. He creates them in his image and his likeness, and they enjoy like this sweet fellowship with God. But he says, hey, there's one tree in this garden that you, you can't eat, don't touch. And, uh, and lo and behold, they, they do, they're tempted and, and they, they take the fruit of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. And, uh, and then we read this in Exodus chapter three, verse nine. Then the Lord called to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. 
And the Lord told him, well, who told you you were naked, the Lord asked. Up until this point, in Genesis chapter 2, it tells us that, that, Mo, that uh, sorry, Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed. In other words, before sin enters the picture, they're not so self-absorbed. But once we become sinful, once the fall happens, and all of us are, are descendants of Adam and Eve, so therefore we all have this, this fallen nature, and we have this propensity to say, man, I wonder what I look like. I wonder what they think about me. I wonder, wonder how I appear to other people. And that's what's happening here. They become very self-aware and therefore very, very self-centered. And I think we all wrestle with this to, to some degree. You don't have to be taught it. If you've ever been around a toddler, like they're very self-centered individuals uh, because of this. We don't have to instruct them on this. Uh, and not only do we become self-centered, but we become, begin to make excuses. Uh, here's what it goes on to say. It says, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, it wasn't me. It was the woman. And men continue to say this, like, it's not me. It's the woman you gave me. Matter of fact, it was her fault. And, and to some degree, God, it's your fault because you gave her to me to eat from the fruit of the tree. And I, so I ate it. And so the Lord asked the woman, what have you done? And she's like, it's not me. It was the serpent who deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. And at the moment sin enters the picture, and, and, and the result of sin is devastation for humanity. It's severed relationship with, with, with God the Father. They, were, they would walk together. They would talk together in the garden. It was a beautiful scene. There was no cancer, there was no earthquakes, there were no mosquitoes, there were no Chicago Cubs. It was a beautiful reality. You're welcome, Kim. Um, but all that's the result of the fall. And at the fall, at the moment the fall takes place, we not only become very self-centered, but we also have this natural tendency to make excuses and to excuse ourselves from what God's asked us to do. Excuses expose our self-centeredness in life. When you see someone making excuses, you see someone who's trying to save face. They're trying to preserve their self-image rather than simply owning it. That's what we see with Adam and Eve. So God's calling all of us. God's prompting us. God's always speaking. God's always opening doors to certain things. And so as, as we start making excuses, let's just call it for what it is. Like it's at the root of it, it's self-centeredness. And so I have to, we have to ask ourselves, are we going to allow the power of excuses to control our lives? Are we going to allow the power of God's word, the power of God's spirit to transform our lives, to allow us to live life beyond ourselves? All of us can make excuses, and my hope is that we come to a place today where we say, hey, no more excuses. I'm going to take action. So I might invite you, why don't you stand to your feet with me as we begin uh, our study through Exodus today. We'll be looking at Exodus chapter 3. And uh, I know this is a little bit out of order on the slides. Let's pull up Exodus chapter 3, verse 13 for the reading of God's word. Here's the first excuse that we see Moses making. Then Moses said to the Lord, if I go to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of our fathers has sent me, they will ask me, what's his name? And here's the question, what am I going to say to them in that moment? This is the first excuse we see Moses making. It's the excuse of I don't have all the answers. God, would you speak to your church, I pray. God, all of us, myself included, we're, we're, we have a fallen nature. We recognize that, but it's a, we're, we're people that you've chosen to redeem. 
On one hand, we're imperfect people, but on the other hand, God, you desire for us to be people in progress. So God, we progress today beyond excuses to take hold of the call you've placed on our lives and simply say yes to whatever you ask us to do. We thank you, God, for your word. Would you speak to us today through the life of Moses and to, to allow us to come to this place where we say, I'm leaving excuses behind. I pray that over your church for, for the strengthening of your people, God, for, for the building of your kingdom. And for your name's sake, would you do it, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. If you're taking notes, this is where they begin. The first fill in the blank there, the first excuse that we see Moses making is, I don't have all the answers. I don't have all the answers. Like, like God, if I go to them, and, and we'll pull up uh, verse 13 again of chapter 3. If I go to them, God, what am I going to say? Like, like, these are smart people. What, what, they're going to ask me questions I don't have the answers to. And how you can relate to that, right? Like, God, I know I'm ambassador for Christ. I know you've placed me at the place where I work to be a representative for you. But I work with smart people, God. And, and smart people ask smart questions. And what am I going to say when they ask me those questions? God, I don't, I don't have all the answers. God, I want to tell my family about who you are and about your power and your activity in my life. But what if they, they say maybe you just fell on some good luck? God, what do I say in those moments? I don't think I have... I don't have all the answers. And ultimately, God's going to tell Moses, you don't need all the answers. I am. You just tell him, I am sent you. I am the great I am. I'm ever present. You don't have to worry about what to say. In fact, the great I am will give you the knowledge that you need when you need it. As long as God is with us, he displays his power. He reveals himself to people. And ultimately, unless God is working in that individual's heart and life, whatever you say, even if it is the right answer, won't land. And so more important than having the right answers in conversations is understanding the God who is with you and allowing God to display his power in their life. This is what Paul would write in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul goes to Corinth. It's a port city. It's a very pagan culture. Uh, it's, it's similar probably to the Bay Area. And this, these people that are far from God have a bunch of idols. Uh, Paul says this. He says, when I, when I came to you, I didn't, my message wasn't, wasn't super eloquent. My preaching was very plain, rather, than, than just clever and persuasive speeches. Here's what I did. I relied on the power of the Holy Spirit to fill in the gap for answers I didn't have, to communicate in ways that I could, could never communicate. Now, I, I also want to make a footnote here that, that this is not having the right answers is no excuse for ignorance. Like, none of us are exempt from that. Uh, I think read all you can, learn all you can, try to remember all you can, and try to have an answer for everyone that asks you for the reason of, of the hope that you have, right? And, and today, like with podcasts, with YouTube, like there's a whole lot of resources available to us for us to, to gain knowledge whenever people ask us difficult questions. So I'm not excusing that. But more important than having the right answers in that conversation is having God's presence and his power pointing a watching world to who he is. And so we don't have to worry about they, what answers we'll have in that, in that moment. Uh, second excuse that Moses makes, and perhaps we've made as well, is, is what if they don't believe me? Like, God, I, so here's the deal. Like, let me just get this straight, God. Like, I'm going to tell them God appeared to me in a burning bush in the middle of a desert, and he told me to go set you free. And what if they don't believe that, right? Like, you got to think about this from, from Moses' perspective. There's, this is a, there's a big gap here. Egypt's the most powerful nation at this time. You know, Moses is going like, with what? What army to release all these captives? What if they don't believe me? Exodus chapter 4, verse 1, Moses 
answered. Behold, he's telling God, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. For they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. Like, that was last night's pepperoni pizza, Moses. Like, <laughs> take a nap. Like, I don't, be- I don't believe him. But check this out in verse, or chapter 3, rather. God's already told him that they will. And so Moses isn't really listening super close to the voice of God. Here's what, what God says. They will listen to your voice. Now in chapter 4, Moses is saying, they're not going to listen to me. Moses isn't listening to God and his eyes are on himself. And Moses is so focused on his inability that he allows his inability to overshadow God's ability. He's more consumed with what he doesn't have than with what God can provide. And and so they they say, hey, he says, you know, they they will listen to you. And he gives them a little bit of taste of what's going to happen. He says, you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of uh, the Hebrews has has met with us. Now, please, let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go out unless he's compelled with a mighty hand. And so Moses is like, I don't think they're going to believe me. But God's like, hey, trust me, when I, when I display my mighty hand, when I stretch out my hand, when I display my power, like it's not going to matter what you say. You don't worry about their lack of belief. Everyone in Egypt will believe based on what I'm about to do. It goes on to say this. It says, so I will stretch out my hand and I will strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do. After that, he will let you go. Matter of fact, he's going to be like, get the heck out of here. Like, like just, just leave. And I will give your people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. Check this out. Each woman shall ask her neighbor and the women who live in her house for silver, gold jewelry, and clothing. And they shall She'll, she'll give it to you and you're going to put it on your sons and your daughters. So not only am I going to deliver you, but he, check this out, Moses. So you're going to plunder the Egyptians. Now, Moses, he was a military general in Egypt. And so he understands a little bit about warfare. He understands a little bit about what goes into plundering a nation. And he's like, God, I don't have an army. I don't have massive resources. But God's saying, hey, I'm going to display my power to such a degree that you don't need an army. When I'm done with them, they're going to say, hey, take my gold, take my silver, take all I have. Just get out of here. Matter of fact, it's going to be so much you can't even carry it. So you're going to have to put it on your sons and your daughters so they can help carry it out of Egypt. I mean, this is incredible. This is God making an amazing promise to Moses. And all Moses can think about is they're not going to believe me. This is very instructive for us because just like Moses, we can focus, we can can let ourselves get so focused that we we neglect obedience instead of just taking a step and saying, God, you said it, I'm going to do it. Let the results be left up to God. So here's what what God tells Moses, Exodus chapter 4, verse 2. It says, the Lord said to him, what's that in your hand? He, He said, it's a staff. Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. Scholars believe like perhaps a cobra, like a poisonous snake. And so Moses, super scared. He's like, I know what these things do. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and he caught it and it became a staff. Now God is letting Moses know at any time, at any place, with any object, I can reveal my power. God says, what's in your hand? And essentially Moses has a stick. But it's with that stick that God is going to perform plagues in Egypt. 
It's with that stick that, that Moses is going to stick it in the ground and it's going to part the Red Sea. It's with that stick that Moses is going to strike a rock in the middle of a desert and it's going to gush so much water that it, it, it provides enough for two million men and women, not including boys and girls, in, in the middle of a desert. And if God can do all that with a stick, just think of what he can do with you. Just think of what he can do with your life. And so our responsibility is not to say, God, here's, here's why I can't. I'm worried about their belief. God's just saying, no, if I ask you to do it, just, just go and leave the results to me. The third excuse Moses makes is I don't have what it takes. And how many of us have made that excuse, right? Like, God, I, I hear what you're saying, but you got the wrong guy. I hear what you're saying, but, but I don't think that's, that's in me. At this point, we would think that perhaps Moses would just fall to his feet and worship. Be like, God, you just turned a, a snake, a, a stick into a snake. Right after that, he says, hey, Moses, put your hand in your cloak. And Moses pulls out his hand and it's leprosy all over his hand. At that time, that would be a death sentence. So he has this like deadly disease that he sees it. And he's like, hey, put your hand back in your cloak. Pfft, healed. Right? And so you'd think like Moses would be like, this is really God. Like, God, I'm, I'm in. I'm on. Like, I'll do it. But here's what Moses says in chapter 4, verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, oh, Lord, I'm not eloquent either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. Scholars believe that Moses had a stuttering problem. So Moses is like, hey, if you tell me something to say, like by the time I say it, like I've lost interest of all the people already. The Lord replies this in verse 11. The Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth, who makes him mute or deaf? or seen, or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. I love what the NIV says. The NIV says, go, I will help you speak, and will teach you what to say. I believe this is God promising Moses in the midst of his insufficiencies, if you're just obedient to what I ask you to do, I can heal your mouth. I can give you the words to speak. I think God is making that promise to him, and, and honestly, if you're like me, all of us can come up with our list of insufficiencies. All of us can make a list of how, how we've never done that, how, yeah, God, but I have this issue in my life. Moses had them, we had them. But in the midst of our insufficiencies, God still says, just go. Just do what I'm, I'm asking you to do, and I'll help you overcome your insufficiencies. Uh, the fourth and final excuse we see Moses make is this. Others are more qualified. Like, God, I hear what you're saying, but, like, there's smarter people than me. There's people who are younger than me. There are people who are more equipped than me. Others are more qualified. Verse 13 of chapter 4, but, Lord, but he said, oh, Lord, please send someone else. I love what the New Living Translation says, but Moses, again, pleaded. It's like he's on his knees begging here. God, please, please send anyone else. <laughs> Is there anybody else living God that you can send besides, besides me? How many of us can relate to that, right? Like God taps you on the shoulder like, hey, I would love for you to help in the nursery. And you're like, God, is there anyone else who can invest in a generation? Like he calls you to serve in the student ministry. You're like, but students, like God, they smell weird. They got this stuff going on. Like God, is there anyone else? Or maybe like he's prompting you to like lead a small group to help more people like go on this journey with Jesus and un uncover like what does the Bible actually say? And we're like, but God, like, 
there's more people at Central who are much more qualified than me. And so I'll just sit back and wait for you to tap them on the shoulder, wait for them to stop making excuses. Then I'll join, I'll join their small group, right? It's going to happen to all of us. Sure, God, like I know you want me to reach my neighbor. Sure, I'm going to bat. Okay, yeah, you want me to talk to my, my coworkers, help them find and follow Jesus. But God, can you just send anyone else? Like I want them to know Jesus. I just don't, not sure I'm the guy, right? We, we can all get to this, this place. And I would just submit to you, we have to be very careful here. Because there comes a point when our excuses are no longer evidence of our selfishness, but rather our excuses are evidence of our rebellion. Here's what we're essentially saying in those moments. God, I don't agree with you. Matter of fact, I think I know best. God, God I know what your word says. I know what your, your word asked me to do, but God, I don't think I'm capable of doing that. God, God I, I, I don't believe your power is great enough to overcome my deficiencies. God, I don't believe what you say will actually happen. And matter of fact, I'm just not really sure I trust you in that area of my life. All of which is tantamount to rebellion. I, simply put, if at any point God says do this and we say no, just call it what it is. Like that's, that's rebellion. And I realize there's strength to that statement. But as your pastor, I just also realized that some of us have gotten very comfortable telling God no. And you just you know that's a very dangerous place to be. Look at it in Moses' life. See how it played out. Chapter 4, verse 14. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. Moses is like, I can't. Okay, here's a solution. I won't. Okay, here's a, here's a pathway forward. I don't know if I, I, I'm the wrong guy. And there comes a point where the anger of the Lord is kindled against Moses. And I would just submit to you, as God's people, we have to be very careful here. There's a reason why the book of Hebrews says, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. God's speaking, and if we, we turn a deaf ear to that long enough, there, there comes a point where the anger of the Lord could be aroused against us. God doesn't just say like, oh, well, Moses, don't worry, I'll send someone else. He, he begins to get a little, little frustrated. And I would just say, hey, God created you on purpose, with purpose. God has a purpose for your life. And when he calls you to step into that purpose, we'd be wise to say yes to that. Trust who he is. God is very patient, though. Aren't you thankful for that? I'm super grateful he's patient with me because sometimes I make excuses. Sometimes I don't, I don't run at whatever God's asking me to do. That's where Moses is, and, and God displays his patience for Moses. He allows his brother Aaron to go with him. And that's what we're going to pick up on next week as Moses arrives in Egypt. Ultimately, he sets aside excuses. He works through inferiority. He works through his insecurities. He says yes to God's call, and he does go to Egypt, a huge step of, of faith. But again, I would just say we need to be very careful here, tolerating excuses in our life, tolerating disobedience in our life. We see this re repeated throughout the Bible, but one story that comes to mind is this dude named Samson. And he was this judge over Israel, like he was in leadership over, over the whole nation of Israel. And it says this, that the hand of the Lord would come on Samson. And he was, he's like this strong dude. He'd display great exploits of strength. And, and by God's spirit working in his life, he would, he would free God's people and do these amazing things. God only asked him to do a couple things, and he kind of ignored those, began to compromise. And it makes this astonishing statement 
It says, one day he went up to do what he had done before, but the Lord left him and he didn't know it. I would just say, be very careful again. If God's speaking to you, if God has spoken to you clearly through his word, heed that teaching. If God's prompting you in your heart to do something, be very careful that you do it. And so what areas of your life have you been making excuses? Like Chris mentioned, perhaps it's in, in generosity and tithing. Perhaps it's getting baptized, going public with your faith. Perhaps it's, it's letting go of a grudge and being willing to forgive someone. Whatever God is directing you to do, specifically through his word or, or prompting your heart, let's just be people who say, God, we want to be led by fire. So whatever you say, we're on, we're in, we're in. My answer is yes. Here's the big idea. If, uh, if you've been tuning out, tune back in for just a moment. It all boils down to this. Here's the message. Here's the final fill in the blank. Here's the big idea for today. You'll never know what's on the other side of obedience. Unless we come to this place where we stop making excuses, we'll never realize what's on the other side of obedience. We'll never realize what God has for our lives to the full degree. Unless we come to this place where we say, hey, no more excuses. God, if you said it, I'm in. I'm for it. Think about this for Moses' life. Unless Moses works through his insecurities, unless Moses works through inferiority, unless Moses comes to this place where he says, hey, yes, I don't feel sufficient. Yes, I'm not sure they'll believe. Yes, I'm not, I don't feel like I have all the answers. Yes, I think more people are qualified than me. But God, if you said so, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go. He sets excuses aside. But if he didn't, think of what he would miss. He'd never see God perform 10 plagues. He'd never see the world's most powerful nation at this time have all their attention turned to the God of the Hebrews. He would never see the miracle of a sea parting and two million people who were once held in slavery set free by the mighty hand of God. If Moses doesn't say yes to God's call, he never goes on the mountain and receives the Ten Commandments that still serves as the foundation of our judicial system today. Like, like if Moses doesn't say yes, his face doesn't radiate with the glory of God so much so that it has to like put this hood over his face because people are scared to look at him because he reflects God so much. The Bible will say because Moses takes this step of obedience that Moses becomes a man who the Lord would speak to face to face as a man speaks to his friend. All that, all that was on the other side of obedience for Moses. So my question to you, what's on the other side of your obedience? What will the history books write about you? Because they were obedient to my call, I did this. Because they were obedient, God set these people free. Because we were obedient, we're people who are led by fire. God displayed his mighty power in ways I never thought possible. We have to come to this place like Moses where we say no more excuses because you'll never know what's on the other side of your obedience. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word that instructs us. We thank you, God, that the Bible, your word is full of imperfect people in progress. And just like Moses, God, we have some excuses But God, just like Moses, we too want to work through those excuses. And I'm thankful, God, we can have very raw and real conversations with you. You're not afraid of that. Matter of fact, you invite us to that. But God, I pray all those conversations would lead us to this place where we say, God, if you said it, I'm in. So God, would you speak to your church today about areas of our lives where we've been making excuses 
that ultimately hold us back from being the people you created us to be. It holds us back from experiencing the abundant life you have for us. So God, may we always see your call and your instruction as a pathway to the abundant life. Because on the other side of obedience, you got good things. As you continue to pray and keep your head bowed and eyes closed, I just recognize in a room this size, perhaps there's some people here who have never experienced the radical grace of Jesus. And ultimately, the Exodus story is a picture for you and I of how God desires to set your captive heart free, how he desires to free you from the oppression and destruction of sin's activity in your life. He desires to to free you from separation from God so that now you can know God. You you can show your purpose. You can can grow in freedom. You can be a person, a man or woman who changes the world. But all that journey begins by embracing the radical grace of God, ultimately displayed in his son, Jesus. The Bible's clear that when sin entered the picture, we were separated from God because of our our actions. We've all blown it, right? Like you've sinned, you've lied, you've stolen. We've evolved on that. Those actions separate us from God, but God in his grace sent Jesus to pay the penalty that you and I owe. That's why the cross is so essential to Christianity because on the cross, he dealt with your sin and he dealt with your shame. And the good news is it didn't end on a cross, but he rose again. And because God's alive, he desires to come alive in you. You take hold of that by faith. The Bible would say this in Romans, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, in other words, you're gonna let God call the shots, and you believe in your heart that on the cross he paid the penalty for your sins. And it didn't just end on the cross, but he rose again. You believe that, you confess that. The Bible says you'll be saved. You say, saved from what? Saved from hell for all of eternity? Absolutely. But more than that, saved from another day without the presence of God in your life. Saved from another day of carrying the weight and guilt of your sin and shame. Not only does it set you free from your sin, but he desires to cleanse you of a guilty conscience. All that's taken face. Uh, by embracing who Jesus is. So if that's you, that's where you are. I just invite you to begin that journey with Jesus by talking to him. We call it prayer, but you can say to God something like this. Say, God, I realize I've blown it. God, I recognize my sin has separated me from you. But God, I also realize that you sent your son to die a brutal death on the cross. And in that moment, I believe the weight of my sin was placed on him. And God, I thank you for paying the penalty for my sin. Now, God, today, I recognize you gave your life for me. So today, God, I'm giving my life to you. And I pray, God, that just as you rose Jesus from the dead, that God, you would raise me up to new life in you. And God, I believe that you will. Now you say this to God. You say, God, today, I give my life to you. As you continue to pray with heads bowed, eyes closed, I'd love to pray for you if that was your commitment today. I'd love for you to slip up your hand, show God you mean business, show me who I'm praying for. If that was your prayer, that was your commitment. Just let me see who I'm praying for. Thanks, thanks, yep, thanks, thanks. Jesus, you see men and women in this room reaching out to you. God, I pray that right now in this moment, they would experience the radical grace of God in their life, that they would experience freedom from sin and shame, knowing that their past has been dealt with. So God, that now that they can step into a new day, God, I pray they'd sense that. I pray they'd feel that right now. And God, I I pray that you would allow courageous faith to rise in their heart, to understand your word and your plan, that they would be men and women who step into that plan in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's give it up for those people who made that spiritual commitment today. It's awesome.